across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pies. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? <laughs> Good afternoon, welcome to Flavour, with an hour of local food and drink news and stories with Alan Alder, Sue Bailey and me, Matt Bentman. And on Flavour today, what are local pub owners doing to tide themselves over until they can reopen? We talk with the owners of Cambridge's The Architect and Willingham's Porterhouse. Do you know your fox whelps from your damonets? We visit a Cambridge cider maker who hopes to see the drink become as popular as beer. And we speak with an ex-supper club host who's now delivering food to your home. Hot food is back on sale at Cambridge Market. Matt goes along to find out how it's going down. And we have another look at the proposed redevelopment of the Market Square. And of course, plenty of local food news and job openings too. Let's begin with the Architect Pub on Cambridge's Castle Hill. It established a good reputation for its food, but what's been going on since pubs had to close? I spoke with Stuart Tuck, who with partner Luke Edwards has started up the Apple and Jalapeno food truck. He told me how it all came about. Well, during the first lockdown, we obviously the pubs were closed. Um, we spent quite a lot of time redecorating and getting the pub ready for reopening. And then as things started to be lifted, we were approached by a drive-in cinema that we'd, we'd previously hosted a couple of uh, nights previous pub, Blue Line in Hardwick, and they approached us asking if we would like to do a food offering for these driving cinemas that we're doing. We talked about it, and instead of building a kitchen every time, you know, in a gazebo or a tent marquee, we thought that we might make an investment into a van, day on side, weekends in a row. They wanted us to go down a sort of American-themed route because of the driving cinemas, so he's doing a burger menu from that. And then once Restrictions were lifted more and pubs were able to reopen uh, and we come to the end of the season, the summer season really for the cinemas. We had the van rebranded and we were taking it on the road and we were visiting different sites all over Cambridgeshire really. Yeah, no, I've been following. You seem to get around to quite a few of the villages as well as more central Cambridge parts, don't you? Yes, that's right. I've got a regular pitch that's uh, in Oxford Darcy, at Hazelfield, Alconbury Wheels, and actually we're finding that villages, places where delivery doesn't reach, they're quite appreciative, and they seem to be better nights for us, really. We get a lot of business in the villages, rather than... We, we also have a regular picture clay farm, coming from Meadows, but of course, although there's a lot more footfall, there's a lot more houses around those sort of areas, as I said, you can quite easily phone Deliveroo or Uber Eats or one of these other delivery companies and have things delivered directly to your door, and there's such a huge range of options for people now. They'll be quite sure of footfall when you're uh, in the city, really. I think when you get out to a village, people are a bit more appreciative that you've come out to them, and not quite as easy for them just to pick up a phone and get a food delivery. We find them really good night. That's great, because you're really actually providing a community service. What are the types of food that you're offering? Jalapenos. The name actually comes from um, a sauce that we came up with apple and jalapeno ketchup that we serve in the pub and we've been asked it seems to be really popular and a lot of people have asked us if we would ever start bottling it and selling it and during the first lockdown that's exactly what we did we, we worked on getting the menu just right for mass production and then we started to bottle it we thought that that would be a good name it's a catchy name and we thought it would help promote the ketchup as well and what we've done is the menus that we've come up with all include this ketchup somewhere along the line. And what we were conscious that what we didn't want to do was a lot of street food vans, they, they offer one thing. It's a burger van or it's a pizza van or variations of. And when you're starting out and in, in a market already quite busy with food trucks, we were conscious that if certain place, for example, Clay Farm, already had a burger van that came to them once a week, there was no point in us turning up and saying, well, we do burgers. What we do is we've come up with a few menus that we can do from the van. The 
long we started, we call the Southern Kitchen, which is deep South America. Also, we've got gumbos, jambalayas, cornbread, big stuffed po'boy sandwiches. We obviously do a burger menu because those seem to be so popular at the cinemas. We've just come up with a new build hot sandwiches from the world. We've got a Cuban sandwich, like a mojo, rubbed pork, pork, ham, Swiss cheese, grilled sandwich. We do a French dip, which is uh, more of an American thing, which is uh, roast beef. Uh, sautéed onions, provolone cheese, and the whole thing is dipped in gravy. A bit messy to eat, but it is delicious. Uh, we have a vegan and vegetarian menu as well. We do things like saitan, donna kebab, banana blossom, fish and chip. We do a range. We just felt it was, it was important that we didn't want to not get into places because they'd already have somebody serving X type of food. Plus, it stops us from getting bored. You know, we're constantly coming up with new ideas and, and new menus for it. They all seem to go down well, especially if you've got a regular pitch somewhere like Clay Farm or Trumpet to Meadows. It means that if we're there once a week, we can offer something different each time we go. And hopefully people get will get confidence in you. If they come and have your burger and they know you do a good burger, then next time you come and I'm doing a gumbo or jambalaya, they've got confidence that the, 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 the burger is good enough. So, we, you know, we know what we're doing with food. They'll come and give us a go. I like the sound of a lot of those. They sound great. By the way, why is a po'boy called a po'boy? Do you know? Yeah, so it was Louisiana. If you were poor uh, and you were working in the fields in the swamps, you didn't have much money, the boss would give you these poor boy sandwiches. So it was normally made up of leftovers, poor boy became po' boy, and now they have these big po' boy sandwiches. We stuffed them with all sorts of things. We, we did a buttermilk chicken one, we did a popcorn crayfish one, multitude of different things that they put in them these days. I think back when they started, it would have been a very simple sandwich made out of leftovers for the poor people to eat. So what are you going to be doing when the lockdown eases a bit, are you still going to be keeping the apple and jalapeno van going? I sincerely hope so. Yes, absolutely. So the, obviously the pub will be reopening. We only have a very small courtyard garden, so I don't think we'll be opening April. I think we'll wait till um, we can offer inside seating. Uh, it just doesn't really make financial sense just to open if you can only sort of fit 10 people in the back garden. But yeah, absolutely. We're hoping to be out all summer on the van. There's more driving cinemas that we're, we're going to hope to be involved with. There's festivals coming up. I think everybody at the moment is slightly in a that we're waiting to see. I know we've got this roadmap out of things, but obviously I think we need to wait and see exactly what's going to happen when. But yeah, I mean, we're getting booked up at the moment and hopefully we'll keep finding new pitches and going to different villages. We're going to keep promoting the, the ketchup as well. At the moment, it's only, only available from the van or will be from the pub when we open. So we're working on a, an online platform so we can start promoting that delivering that to anybody that wants it. Yeah, I mean, watch this space. We're definitely going to be um, out and about wherever we can go, really. So how do people find out a bit more about where you are and where you're going to? You have Twitter and Instagram, I presume. Uh, Instagram, yes. Facebook, yes. We're not on Twitter with the Apple and Jalapeno. Follow us on um, Facebook, Instagram, both at Apple and Jalapeno, or the Architect webpage gives uh, updates of where we're going to be. And also, a lot of the places we go... Clay Farm Foods, they have a Facebook page and they put up a big list of who's going to be there each week. Uh, same with Trump into Meadows. So anywhere that there are food trucks, they also have their own site to give a rundown of exactly who's going to be there when. And that was Stuart Tuck of the Architects Pub and now also of Apple and Jalapeno. Interesting to hear of the different reactions in the city and the villages. A few mentions of Deliveroo there, and it's interesting that at least one of the big fund managers is boycotting Deliveroo's multi-billion pound stock market flotation next month because of the way it treats its delivery riders. As we've reported on Flavour before, it also takes about one third of the food bill, leaving restaurants with little profit. There are alternatives such as Click It Local and Foodstuff. Now for our first news section of the day, and we'll start with food vans. And for most of them, you will need to order in advance. There are no walk-ups. So today, Saturday, from 5 till 8pm, Kura Kura is at the Fordham British Legion, Gorilla Kitchen is at Thriplow Village Hall, Steak and Honour is at the Fox in Burwell, and at the Queen's Head in Newton. Tomorrow, Sunday, at the Queen's Head from 12 till 3, it's Pizza Mondo. On Wednesday, at Hobson Square in Clay Farm, it's Pull Me Sherry. Thursday, Hanoi Rice Hat. Friday, Al Chili. Saturday, Buffalo Joe's. We've lots of news about deliveries and collections for Easter eating, but you'll need to book quickly. Pudini is doing a special fish menu for Good Friday, delivering hot to villages around Willingham, and that includes Bar Hill. Three courses for £20. 
and Pudini is doing a special menu for Easter Sunday, delivered on Saturday with heating instructions. Provenance is doing a two-course Easter family meal, and it's their last takeout before they reopen on the 14th of April. The mains are roasted Hereford beef, or half a Norfolk spring chicken, or roast Norfolk lamb, or spring vegetable tart with green sauce. Cambridge Cider's Easter online shop opens from 31st of March to the 3rd of April, with free local delivery. They're also having a pop-up stall in Bassingbourne High Street on Good Friday. Gourmandise has an Easter patisserie box that includes a chocolate and banana tart filled with flambe bananas and a dark chocolate ganache topped with chocolate twigs, an opera gâteau with a coffee meringue buttercream and chocolate flan patissiere and chocolate eclair. This box is £13 to order. It's via email only. So if you're interested in that, contact at gourmandise.co.uk. Delivery is to villages around Cottenham, otherwise collection is available. You can order by midnight tomorrow, that's the 28th of March. Meadows in Eltersley Avenue has some handmade, hand-painted, finished and wrapped Easter eggs by Ria of Bumble and Oak in Newnham. Hot cross buns made by Katie of the Allotment Bakery, Simnel cakes made in store by pastry expert Shannon. There will be daily deliveries of bread and hot cross buns, but you're recommended to pre-order all the items I've mentioned because quantities are limited. The website is meadowscambridge.co.uk. Biscotti de Deborah has a fantastic selection of petit four. There are three box sizes, 12 petit fours for £12, 25 is £29, 48 is £49. Order via the Biscotti de Deborah website. She is also doing an Easter tray of pasticceria fresca. Check the website for details, but get your order in quickly. Fiona MacDuff's April patisserie boxes sold out within one hour, but Fiona may do a second batch later in the month if enough people are interested. Contact her via the Fiona Patisserie Instagram page. On to our next feature now, and things are hotting up at Cambridge Market, quite literally as hot food stalls made their return in the last week or so. They've been placed all around the edges of the market, and there were long queues at each one. The whole place is watched keenly by marshals to make sure that everybody is sticking to the rules, and any comments about fences and guardrails were largely positive. People didn't see it as oppressive or off-putting, and I went along to see if I could get a few comments. And you can smell the food that you haven't smelt for such a long time. This is cabbage rolls. Mm-hmm. Borscht, then of course beef stroganoff. It's the first time that we really see so many options today. Piroshki. And of course, dumplings, Russian dumplings with sour cream. So glad to walk around it today, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're a bit sick of supermarket food by now, so we wanted to get something more fresh. Yeah. Hot food back to the market. Finally, we're coming back. Everybody happy. <laughs> okay, here's Cameron, who runs the Haluman stall. Haluman is hot fried halloumi, amongst other things. I mean, there's always been queues. They're much more regimental, as you say, certainly polite. And I actually prefer it because it means it's easier for me to cope with people. So the orders aren't coming in five or six at a time. You're just taking two or three or one. It makes it a little bit easier. Here's the man from the Shui Cam Coffee store. Mrs. Shui Cam Coffee saw my microphone and quickly pushed him my way. Over the last year, we've seen three lockdowns. We've seen the market completely closed, and obviously that got a lot of people quite upset about that. But we've had a lot more customers come back again and again. Now, they've had the opportunity to go to supermarkets as well as anybody else, but they've chosen to come here, and it seems people are more appreciative of the fact the market's here. You know, these people have been here for such a long time, providing for us fresh stuff that we can get outside. You're not inside the shop to get it. So, you know, your safety for us was better out in the market square. We are traders. We had to go for the COVID test before we come back. Twice. I feel very safe, yeah. I mean, I have been vaccinated, and yeah, I do. I feel really, really safe. And if you don't, you just keep your distance. And just enjoy what we've got in Cambridge, really. Support it. But also a bit of a social centre for Cambridge as well, because there's so many civic spaces. It's getting families out, walking out, rather than going to McDonald's and places like that, isn't it? But there's so few social spaces that are in use seven days a week, 362 days of the year, 
this place is operating. So I'd say it's been a particularly tough year for people who've been classed as non-essential. Everybody's essential to get that diversity into the market. But for those people being classed by the government as non-essential, it's been a really tough year. They've only been able to get out for a few weeks. And what the next stage has got to be is to get those people back, get them trading. The council's working with a small local company called Mekomi to do uh, local deliveries and food stuff again to do local deliveries. And they're setting up an electronic portal as well. So we're hoping that these kind of things will make this market a 21st century market, but still give that kind of face-to-face -face individual attention feel. I think of course everything going back to the normal soon. It's good to see regulars coming back and saying hello and they've missed me as well, which is, was nice. Actually, in those two days, I saw many of my customers who I, with difficulty, recognize because of the mask. But anyway, I see those, how shall I say, thankful eyes. I'm happy to see them. <laughs> it's nice to see more life returning to the market square. It's nice to see life full stop. Did you know that there is a Friends of the Market group? It's called Friends of Cambridge Market. It's a Facebook group. And that, as well as websites like FECRA, which stands for the Federation of Cambridge Residents Associations, they'll both provide news on the state of the market and its future plans. I'm free. Here's where we bring you details of free food available now in and around Cambridge. The information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Olio app, which is free to download. And some examples of what's been recently available locally includes lots of bread and pastries, broccoli, red cabbage, limes, Jaffa cake bars, a jar of raspberry jam, red lentils, onions, garlic, lots of things from pret too. And another free app called Too Good To Go has unsold food from restaurants and shops, often at less than half price. Rather than specifying each leftover item, the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag, ready for you to take home instead of it being binned at the end of the day's trading. The feature we did in the last edition of Flavour about the plans to redevelop the market square are now available on catch-up from the Cambridge 105 Radio website or from your podcast provider. And there was an online meeting last Thursday of the Council Committee that's dealing with the proposed redevelopment. During the meeting, a resolution was passed unanimously that, during the public consultation, the proposed new stall design would be on show in the Market Square for the public and the traders to assess. However, the consultation is about far more than that. The stalls are being redesigned partly to allow them to be packed away so that large events may, on occasion, occupy the square. And that's causing some consternation, as it may reduce the number of days the market is open for trading. So it's important that all of us with a concern for the market should get involved in the consultation. There will be explanatory boards in the square and elsewhere when it begins. Getting it right is vital for the city and, not least, for the traders themselves, as Wendy Blythe, Chair of the Federation of Cambridge Residents Associations, pointed out to me. They're businesses and they live, their lives are very vulnerable. Some of the traders have been going to food banks. Now, I do know that, and I've asked people to go public with their stories, but they don't want to. People don't want to. And there's also an anxiety, too, from the traders about putting their heads above the parapet. These are people that they're looking for us to speak for them, you know. And it may not make me very popular, but I'm, I'm going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> OK, thanks very much, Wendy. Thanks to Wendy Blythe for that interview. The consultation on the market development will last six weeks and will begin after the local elections and they take place on the 6th of May. Now let's hear another example of how another local pub is surviving and what its future plans are. Earlier in the week I spoke with Fran Todd from the Porterhouse pub in Willingham. An interesting pub and not least because the owners bought it from Brewers Green King as Fran told me. Now, I gather this is a free house and you've owned this for a little while. Is that true, Fran? certainly is. Barry and I purchased the Porter House, as we now know it, from Green King just a little under six years ago now. Originally called the Black Bull, 
we refurbished it and renamed it and um, have been trading as the Porterhouse ever since. Why did you call it the Porterhouse? Oh, that's a really good question. We just like the name. We really wanted to make a big change for the pub in its identity. It had fallen into quite a lot of disrepair. It was a tenanted pub with Green King for many years and they were selling it off. Gave it a whole new life, you know, redecorated, refurbished and wanted to change the name to signify the fact that it was a completely different building inside and out. What would you say is your main focus of the pub? Is it food or is it for people to come and drink or is it really a combination of both? It's really a combination of both. When the Porterhouse was opened after we refurbished, we let it do its own thing. So we wanted it to find its own place in the, in the village and in the area. It's actually quite a small restaurant, um, only seats at the moment, 17, 18 covers, but we've created a soft divide in the pub with stained glass uh, reclaimed windows actually from an old pub in Islington that we found at a reclamation yard. It has a, a bar side and also a restaurant. It enables people to still hear each other, create a nice ambience. So even if you're sat in the bar having a drink or sat in the restaurant eating, it is a feeling of all togetherness. Ticks the boxes for both. We're more than happy to have our, our locals coming in for a pint after work, equally come out for, for dinner. And I gather you have got uh, something rather special in your garden, <laughs> which is a teepee. Tell me more. We do. A teepee, a wigwam, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, we do. Yes. So for the last year, obviously, things have been a huge change for the, everybody. We have, as a hospitality industry, had to really rethink how we can entice and encourage our customers to want to still come out, enjoy themselves in a totally different way. And I think looking at how we were going to adapt the business and grow the business and hopefully continue to grow the business through the current pandemic, looked at different ways where we could provide an extra dining space outside or drinking space outside where perhaps customers felt more comfortable because, as we know, so we looked at lots of different solutions, dining pods, marquees, and settled on a teepee, mainly because it was unusual. It was an opportunity to bring something different to the area. Um, yeah, we have a nine-metre teepee in our, in our garden now. And how many does it seed? So with social distancing, we have put five tables of six in, in the teepee with a, a centre table of four. So at any one time, it will seat 34 people. Is it a sort of Cambridge-provided teepee? You didn't have to go to the Americas to get it, I hope. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, a, it's actually quite a local company based in Grantham. How have you coped, though, during the lockdown period? We expanded our takeaway service, which, whilst it was already in existence when the pub was open, it became and has become a really good lifeline to the local community and also for us. We operate on Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sundays. We originally started with just our pizza menu, but over the last year have expanded that to add different dishes, so our burgers. We have a couple of other additional dishes like venison bangers and mash, um, vegetable tempura. So for somebody who doesn't actually want what you class as a takeaway meal, there is something a little bit different on there. Uh, somebody who maybe is watching their weight or not wanting something so indulgent. And then we've expanded it to add our homemade puddings and desserts. In the last few weeks, we added Sunday roasts, mainly because our customers kept asking us for them. Yes, I've certainly been talking to a few people recently. They've been saying, oh, well, where can you get a good takeaway Sunday roast? So that's well worth knowing. It's been really popular and we've been, uh, we've been really well supported. Our local area, we couldn't thank them enough for everything that they've done for us in the last year. I think pubs should be and are the hub of a community and it's lovely that there's been this chance for this to happen. If anything, this pandemic has shown us that supporting local, supporting each other through such a, an unusually tough time has actually been the, the light at the end of the tunnel, to be honest. So it's been great. Can you just give me a flavour, though, of what you're hoping your opening dishes and everything will be in April when hopefully the sun will shine and we can all get out? We'll be opening with a bang on the Thursday, the 15th of April. We are reopening fully, so we'll be open 
all day, Monday through to Saturday, and we've extended our opening hours on Sunday as well to open until 9pm in the evening. The teepee will be open for diners. We've got a new little patio area as well for anyone who wants to come for just a drink or food if they're feeling like they want to drop in and just have a bite to eat. We've got a lovely outside area as well, sitting on right on the village crossroads, which everyone seems to love in the summer. So we're really just praying for some decent weather to help people ease back into going out, really, and seeing different people and socialising. It's going to be different for everybody, isn't it? You know, there are people who are desperate to get out and there are those who are still quite nervous and quite cautious of how it's going to look. We're quite happy to appeal to everybody. We want to come out and be cautious. We're very COVID secure. The staff are well trained. Everything's well spaced out. There's an opportunity to use our online ordering app if you don't wish to have as much contact with the staff. So we're quite flexible in how we're choosing to approach this. And we're just going to be grateful to have people back. We've missed cooking. We've missed creating different dishes and making our puddings, making our ice cream. We just want to get back to it. And how can people find out more? Are you on Twitter or Instagram or website? Yep, we've got our website, um, which is www.theporterhousepub.com. We're on Instagram at The Porterhouse Pub. Not quite on Twitter yet, also Facebook. And that was Fran Todd of The Porterhouse in Willingham. Well, that's a rather nice idea, eating out in a teepee. Uh, And Fran mentioned that they'd thought about having pods too, and that's the approach being taken at the Three Horseshoes in Maddingley. Now, we've got a two-minute break now. See you on the other side for more food and drink news and more food stories, and at the end of the programme, some very nice chef jobs. Cambridge 105 Radio. Cambridge Breakfast with Julian Clover and Lucy Malazzo. It's the breakfast show that's all about Cambridge. We've got the news. National and local. Travel updates. From the A14 to Milton Road and all stations to Cambridge. The people and the places. Plus guests in our Friday food club. Cambridge Juice. All the new things to do in the city. Our daily quiz. Oh yes, questions, questions with Lucian. And all request Jukebox Friday. And don't forget the coffee. Cambridge Breakfast with Julian Clover and Lucy Malazzo. Here with a fresh blend weekday mornings from 7. What's in your spare room? Christmas decorations? Maybe an old exercise bike? Could you give that room to a young person along with a fresh start? St Christopher's Fellowship is looking for people to become foster carers in Cambridgeshire to provide safe, caring homes for teenagers who need help. And because we've been working to improve young people's lives since 1870, you can trust that you're not on your own. You'll receive regular training, dedicated social worker support and space to share experiences with other carers. It's more than a spare room, it's a brighter future. Call 0800 234 6282 or visit stchris.org.uk fostering. St Christopher's, creating brighter futures. Hi, Pam here. Are you tired of the same old shops? Drop into Fantasia on Mill Road near Parker's Peace. Enter our treasure cave full of fine clothing and exotic homewares. Natural materials, uplifting ambiance, mood improvement guaranteed. Perk up your wardrobe, your home, your life. Dare to shop different. Fantasia, 64 Mill Road, Cambridge. Fantasia.uk.com. For opening times, please see fantasia.uk.com. Cambridge 105 Radio. Welcome back to Flavour, and we'll begin the second half talking about cider. Mmm, Cider Insider, in fact. That's the name of the company, Cider Insider. It's owned by Lee Baresi, and from orchard to your table, these are full-juice ciders. You'll find out what that means in a few moments, as he gives us a taste of the variety of what's on offer. So I thought we'd start with a Perry. Mm. It's from Bushel and Peck. They're based in Gloucestershire. These guys sort of go and collect fruit from some orchards, but they also get fruit from people's gardens. They're sort of unsprayed, so they're organic without the organic label. And also, just to be clear, Perry's are made from pears. Yes. Yeah. So you can see it's got a really light colour. Yeah. Like a wine colour, actually natural sediment in the bottom yeah it's not been highly filtered very smooth exactly as it says on the bottle yeah not as sweet as i was expecting at all. no perry's you often get some sweetness 
you know, and they quite often dry out, but this one's actually quite a medium dry. Are you more of a peri person than a cider person or split down the middle? Yeah, split down the middle, really. There aren't as many peris as ciders. Yeah. I mean, a peri goes really well with um, seafood and cheese, like with plowmans. All ciders really go like with plowmans really well. Lee's only a few years older than me, so we're both in our early 20s. Where I got attached to radio, Lee fell in love with cider. <laughs> the story started, I went to my girlfriend's father's and a couple of his friends make cider just at home. There's a cider festival over in Dorset called Powerstock and you get 60 producers coming in quite small. So a couple of them actually asked me, oh, would you want to sort of sell my cider up in Cambridge? And that's how I originally thought about it. That was the beginning. That was the, yeah, that was the beginning of it. Cider Insider's website, providing you're over 18, is bristling with craft ciders and perries from across the country. Every cider you find on the website, you won't find in the supermarket. Large cider makers, they try and make every cider that comes out exactly the same. Small cider makers, they want every cider to taste different. So you could drink the same cider and next year and it'll be slightly different. You know, it's a great British product and we should celebrate it more. I think around about the 60s to the early 70s, the idea was that beer was in the hands of the producers. So they were producing beers that were largely tame, but easy to produce and mass manufacture. And that's kind of what prompted the rise of camera in 1971 or 73, I think it was. I think there was something similar when it comes to cider as well. Cider had also been diluted to such an extent that the cider was no longer the cider that people had drunk in hundreds of years past. Yeah. I read a bit about Magnus and how Magnus turned the opinion around through rebranding, reimagining it all. There's method in the Magnus. And that was the beginnings of almost joining the camera movement where people are now taking more of an appreciation of small batch ciders, small batch beers. Yeah, well, I mean, Magnus helped that craft cider movement in the sense that it turned people's eyes towards cider who maybe wouldn't have thought about trying it before. Cider was a niche product for that. I mean, it still is to a certain extent yeah. compared to beer. There are plenty of cider makers in this region, aren't there? Yeah, there are. In fact, I've got cider from Windhill in Norfolk. Yeah. If you've ever been up to Wales next to the sea, they've got a really nice outdoor seating area where they make their cider. Yeah. And you can sit and while away the day. I've got some sort of Kentish cider here as well to try. The biggest difference between sort of Eastern Counties and Western Counties cider is the apples they use. In the East, they generally use dessert apples. Yeah. And the ciders tend to be more acidic. The apples from the sort of West Country tend to have sort of more tanning and slightly better depth of flavour. There was something on your website. It said, 100% pressed juice ciders. I thought, is that what I think it is? Because to make cider, you need apples, water, yeast fermenting and I saw this description somewhere else of like a 100% cider is no water it's all the juice is that what you're saying yes yeah so a lot of ciders use concentrate apple juice all the big brands will use concentrate possibly not even from the UK but 100% pressed is just apple juice pressed and then quite often it's wild fermented so they, they don't even add yeast to it you have yeast on the apple skins and that's what they use to ferment the cider one of your bottles, they call it skinned, I think. Yeah, so there's one cider on the site called In Touch, made by Pilton, also in Somerset. Their apple juice, they steep in Pinot Noir skins from a local winery. It gives it a really nice colour and it's a really nice depth of flavour from like a bit of wine in there as well. Yeah. Each one tastes different and each year will taste slightly different because of the weather and the amount of sunshine, the sort of residual sugars in the apples or has an effect on the flavour. It's funny, there must be people at home thinking, how can you really tell that? You'll need to get probably the two ciders side by side. Yeah. And also the colour can change as well slightly from year to year. And also the wild yeast you have on the skins of the apple won't be exactly the same as the one that was there the year before. Yeah. And so it will cause the flavours to be slightly different. Do you get much of a way of measuring the demographic of the people who buy your products? I do know a lot of young to middle-aged people now who favour ciders over other drinks. 
seeking out the more nuanced flavors of ciders. They're putting some thought behind their choices, yeah. which is great. Yes, it's great. When I've looked at the people buying on the website, the age range is really broad spectrum from early 20s to 70 plus. Yeah. Some cider apple types. So many names are Foxwelp, Dabinet. Did I say that right? Yeah, Dabinet, Keep popping yeah. up quite frequently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dabinet is one of the more common cider apples. A lot of places will do a single variety of Dabinet. Yeah. So also I've got a Yarlington Mill we can try. So Yarlington Mill, it was discovered as a sort of wild apple in the 1800s in Somerset. And the wild apples were called gribbles in those days and Yarlington Mill was grown from that and now it's sort of widely available. A lot of producers do a single variety of that as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's explain what this one is. Right, so this is this is from the Newt, which is Somerset, uh-huh. and they've started making cider, and this is a sort of Yarlington Mill single varietal. This this will have more sort of tannins, but they'll be soft, mm. and it will have some real depth to this. So as you can see, the sort of the colour is much richer on this. Yes, yes, a much more golden traditional cider colour, I suppose. Yep. Oh, that's, um, that's got quite an aromatic flowery scent almost. Yeah, and that aromatic flavour is sort of Yarlington Mill. Hmm. Possibly the first time I've ever used the word aromatic. But cider has its own terms, as well as regular descriptors like acidity and tannin. And as you said, different varieties of apples have different amounts of both. Then there are terms that are used in ciders like bitter sharp, bitter sweet. Bitter sharp is high in acidity and tannin. It'll taste sharp and it'll have an astringency to it. And astringency, we mean bitterness. Yeah. Yeah. So tannin will taste sharp, it'll taste acidic, but not astringent, so there won't be much bitterness there. Many cooking apples fit this profile. Cooking apples, as we all know, you take a bite of one, they taste pretty foul. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You hit the spot like a balmy breeze on a night in May. Do you still find yourself getting surprised by new ciders, new flavours? Each time I get a new cider, I have to try them all. Yeah. And there's, there's always new flavours. It's amazing. It's like the world of beer in a sense, but in beer you've got more scope to put different things in. With cider, it's just apple juice. But depending on where the apple has been grown, will have a great effect on the taste. Yeah. The terroir, if you like. Just sitting there yesterday when I was looking through your website, just how many different types of cider apples and apple varieties in general there were and how they've been lost over time. Uh, And over time, I'm talking like hundreds of years. So there was a period in history where cider was more important than wine. Some farmers were being paid in cider as like a fifth of their wages. And there were more and more orchards being planted and grown and cultivated around the country. And then all that died away quite quickly when we were started having wars. Wars with France, wars with Spain. Remind me to send flowers to the King of France in sympathy for the death of his son. The one you had murdered, my lord. Yes, that's the fellow. Then the farmers had to give over more of their land to production of uh, livestock and seeds so that you can fuel the war. So lots and lots of these esoteric little orchards got lost, lost to time. You know, you'd start having little turnarounds, I suppose. I think there was a bit about Richard Harris, who was the fruiterer, fruiterer? Fruiterer of King Henry VIII. And I think Henry said something like, I want you to go to France and amongst other things, come back with different apple varieties. And that's what he did. He brought back the Pippin and I think the Cox. Is that right? And again, slowly started to kind of begin that reclamation of an art that we'd lost. You advance up to the 20th and 21st century. Here we are sitting here in Cambridge, drinking ciders and perries from a wide variety that you've got now. And like you're saying, you're still exciting now because there's still more coming in. Yeah, and I think cider makers are starting to innovate. They're starting to put hops in or run them over wine skins and adding like quince. I've got a hot cider from Nightingale, which we can try in a bit. Okay. So that's Eastern County style, so that, that'll be made with dessert apples. Now this is different. What we've got here is a can. Yeah, so this is uh, called Happy Cox. It's made by Nightingales, which is in Kent. 
So this is made with Cox and Yonne Gold, which are eating varieties. It's uh, dry hopped, so hops are just put in at the end to steep in with the cider. And it's said also on the back there, with, made with that local uh, Kentish terroir. And again, you mentioned that word. When they say terroir, they're talking about... It's a combination of things, isn't it? It's the environment. Like when you were talking about getting the, the weather into a cider from uh, different years, yeah. capturing that and, and being able to distinguish the scent and the flavour. And that's what terroir is, more or less. Yeah, it's the conditions of the year, but also you get qualities from the soil going into the cider. That's the palest cider we've seen today. Yes, very pale. Paler than the perry. Yeah, on the nose. Oh. You can sort of pick up the hops on that. And the hops on the cider are quite they are quite subtle. They're not like too in your face. But it gives that's it so it gives it another dimension. It really does. And that's something that is only recently you've been able to find ciders like that. It's mm. quite and it's nice to see sort of cider makers innovating. This is the one that sparks you thinking, damn ciders are good, you know, I wanna I wanna try another one. Yeah. This makes me want to try another one. That must be a nice feeling when you experience something like that as well, like a, something that feels like a game changer. Yeah, I've had a couple of um, hot ciders, and that's sort of the most subtle. Sometimes that they've been quite in your face, and mm. I'm not quite sure how it works with the cider. Mm. Well, thanks, Lee. It's been yeah. great to chat to you yeah. and try out some of these ciders, and they really are a variety. I mean, we've, we've just gone through four different types, I think, haven't we? Each one of them is wildly different from the other. And that's so interesting. If you haven't tried your hand at a cider any time recently, they're so different to certainly what I remember. And they go, they go really go well with food. You can have seafood, you've got cheeses. Also, you've got some ciders which will go with meat. They're smoky, they've been in whiskey barrels, mm. and they match up really well with even red meats. Okay, well, thank you, Lee. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Cheers. And you're listening to Flavour on Cambridge 105 Radio. That was Lee Baresi talking about just some of the many ciders and perries that comprise his company, Cider Insider. Check out his website, ciderinsider.co.uk, where you'll see the full range. Now, he delivers around Cambridge and the surrounding counties, and he uses Click It Local to do so. And again, if it's been many years since you last tried a cider, you kind of owe it to yourself to give these a try, because the breadth of flavour on offer is... Well, imagine if you've only been painting with two colours all your life, and then you're handed the full colour range. That's what this feels like. More food news now. Dolcedo and Eclipse will be closed on Easter Saturday, Sunday and Monday. Cafe Abantu is doing takeaway meals to eat at home on Saturdays. Check Instagram for the menu. It changes weekly and you order by Wednesday for the Saturday. Radmore Farm Shop is selling free-range pork from its own farm-raised, non-intensively reared animals who have lived outside every day. Product information and prices from hello at radmorefarmshop.co.uk. Oyster Lab has oyster dishes available from 4.30 at Café Foy on Cambridge's Quayside on the 15th and 16th of April. The Kingston Arms in Kingston Street is taking bookings for its outdoor space from the 12th of April. Meanwhile, it's doing delivery of food, beer and wine from Wednesdays to Sundays from 12 till 3 via Click It Local. Turpin's Brewery has a 40% discount on its underback Pilsner at the moment, available from the brewery's online shop. And plans that would have led to the partial demolition of the Flying Pig Pub in Hills Road have been turned down by Cambridge City Council. The plans would have resulted in a smaller pub and pub garden, leading to fears that it would become commercially unviable. However, the developers are expected to make some changes to their plans, so the pub's future is not yet secure. Pint Shop is doing nationwide deliveries of its meal packs on Wednesdays and Saturdays and has a five-week pop-up in its garden from Isla's Pizza starting on the 15th of April. Orchard Tea Rooms is scheduled to open on the 1st of April, but will do so earlier next week if the weather is good.
And that familiar music signals time for our Twitter news. Uh, a reminder that we have to pre-record our programmes now because of limited access to Cambridge 105 radio studios as a result of the pandemic. So we're not able to bring you the latest tweets, but we can tell you that you can follow Flavour on Twitter, where we are at Flavour 105. Yep, we're on Instagram as well. Also, at Flavour 105. <laughs> the good old days when we had things like supper clubs, there was one in Trumpington called the Clandestine Supper Club. Alexa Stevenson was one of the two people running it. Now Alexa is back with fellow cook Sam Cross as the Clandestine Kitchen. Alexa told me about the three-course meals they cook. They change every week, although it might change with the lockdown easing. Well, we try to work with what's available. We have a really nice butcher. We know really good fishmongers. We try to get people from Cambridge as well in terms of the provenance of ingredients and with the season, really. I'm really looking forward to the summer where I can actually have tomatoes. I gather that you have been able to distribute to people in the area near to where you live. So we, we do uh, deliveries to Trumpington, Shelford, Harston, Grantchester, and we do that ourselves. And the rest of the time, for I mean, for uh, Cambridge and further afield, I think, it's Click It Local. That sounds really good. So the Click It Local come and collect from you, They come and they? pick it up, yeah. So it's, it's actually really good for us because we wouldn't be able to be in the kitchen and go out on delivery. Because, well, I mean, at the minute, because we're quite small, we're trying to do pretty much everything, just the two of us. So it's, it can be, a, you know, a bit tricky. That's hard work. And, and I gather for people who have memories of the clandestine gourmet when you did supper clubs then they will not be surprised the fact that you two are the people behind clandestine kitchen well it was me and somebody else sam has just ended somebody else only me from the gourmet it was actually really nice to go back on food doing this this kind of work i was uh there's nothing better than working with food if it's your passion yes absolutely and we got super, super nice feedbacks. I mean, uh, we're always thinking, uh, every time the food goes out, we're like, oh, we hope it's going to be great. And Because it's, it's a total different thing than serving it from the kitchen to do a proper service. Then actually packing it, sending it, and then we put the picture on Instagram so people can see how you play. But it's a total different, very, very different than, than a service. On Saturday morning or Sunday morning, sometimes we've got uh, really nice feedback coming out so so we know that we're doing something nice. So it's great. How many have you been sending out on average, would you say, of a weekend? About 25. Uh, we picked at 30. But we also do a range of freshly cooked meals. We send on Thursdays if you don't want to cook. It's called I'm Not Cooking Tonight. And it can be a tagine, it can be a chili, it can be, I mean, loads of things. to change and there's a pie every week. When we do that, we put some money on the side and we give every Friday some food to the food hub to Trumpington by uh, I'm not cooking tonight, you're doing something for the community as well. What are your plans going ahead, would you say? Well, we were talking about it today, actually. We can private chef in. I can do maybe some, some supper club in my garden. We can do picnics. We can do catering. There's things we can do, but it won't be the same. We, no. we need to be creative, I think. It's possible. That's why we're probably a little bit lost. I mean, the marketing part of it is where to, who to target, where, where to, you know, this is because we're in the kitchen. There's loads of things that we can't do. I think this is where it's lovely being part of a food community in Cambridge. I hope that anyone who's listening might perhaps want to get in touch with you and say, actually, what about this as an idea? Or can we work with you on that? So you never oh, know. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> we're open to any collaboration. <laughs> You've got a presence on Instagram and Facebook, so how do yes. people find you? So on Instagram, it's the Clandestine Kitchen, and on Facebook, it's Clandestine HQ. We also have a website, which is uh, the clandestinekitchen.co.uk. And it's a very nice website as well, so well done. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. We did that as well. <laughs> yes, I think that's the problem with, with the sort of starting things up as, as a sort of new venture. You have to wear so many different hats. <laughs> Absolutely, exactly. 
it's been it's been a really a roller coaster of things that we need to think of. It's been very busy. I wake up sometimes, you know, at four o'clock in the morning thinking of one thing or it's a bit crazy, you know, we get there. The Clandestine Kitchen is on Instagram as the Clandestine Kitchen, Facebook as Clandestine HQ, and there is a website theclandestinekitchen.co.uk. <laughs> There's Green Onions by Booker T and the MGs signalling the start of our jobs section. Starting with a very appealing job, the foraging chef Steve Thompson is looking for a talented chef de partie to join the small team at the Plough in Shepworth. You'll learn a lot about wild food cooking and preserving. It's a 45-hour-a-week job with four days straight through and one split. The pay is 10.25 per hour. Send your CV to Stephen, and that's with a PH, Stephen J. Thompson at hotmail.com. Steak and Honor is looking for a restaurant manager for its Wheeler Street restaurant. It's a full time permanent position from Wednesdays to Saturdays. Apply very soon, it's been available for a week now. Sending via email your CV with a few lines on why you'd like to work there. Send it to hello at steakandhonor.co.uk. Flourish, the farm that supplies excellent fruit and veg to places like Meadows and Vanderlyle, has volunteering spots for people who want hands-on experience of commercial farming and are looking to understand about regenerative farming methods. You can be a resident volunteer living on the farm for periods of eight weeks and working from Monday to Friday in return for full bed and board. Or you can be a day volunteer working a full day in exchange for a veg box to take home. So if you're interested, contact them office at flourishproduce.co.uk Nourish Linton Whole Food Shop is looking for someone to help pack and deliver fruit and veg boxes part-time, 12 hours a week across Thursdays and Fridays. Uh, you'll need a full driving licence and your own car or van. Email boxes at nourishlinton.com for details. Dulcedo needs two bakers at his Eddington Bakery, one full-time, one part-time. Email dulcedopatisserie at icloud.com if you're interested. There are part-time and full-time front-of-house positions at Stir in Chesterton Road. Email stirbakerycambridge at gmail.com. The Senate Bistro in St Mary's Passage needs summer front-of-house. Experience is preferred, but not essential, as full training will be given. Apply via email or for more information to inquiries at thesenatebistro.com. And that takes us to the end of our programme for today. Thanks for listening, and thanks to everybody who took part. We are here on Alternate Saturdays at 12 noon and repeated on Sundays at 6pm. We'll also be available on podcast early in the next week. And if you have any food and drink news that you think might interest us, we will be very pleased to hear from you. You can email us, flavour, at cambridge105.co.uk or send us a direct message on Twitter or Instagram, where we are at flavour105. Coming up next is Les Ray with Strummers and Dreamers. Sue Marchant is here at 9pm with her new weekly show full of local guests and some of her favourite music tracks. And then at 11 o'clock it's the Kip of the Cat show with Greg Butler and Darren Hart and their selection of vintage 78s from the 1910s right through to the 1960s. And that's your evening lineup on Cambridge 105 Radio. But that's all from us for today. We'll be back on the 10th of April, but until then, have a happy Easter, enjoy the hot weather that's on the way, and goodbye. 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 Goodbye.